Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Baby, baby, tell me what to do. My heart feels lonely when I think of you. Debbie, I want to talk to you. Gary Wilson singing Debbie Debbie. Well, we have one of my favorite Debbies on the line. She is an attorney, a pundit, a commentator, a blogger, and uh, we occasionally tap into her expertise as a film reviewer as well. Debbie, it has been far too long since we spoke. How have you been? It's great to talk to you. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for having me back on. And by the way, I think I just found a new Debbie song I've never heard before. Well, that makes two of us. That makes two of us. <laughs> hey, uh, before we talk about movies, um, a, a, a listener just emailed me when I was promoting your appearance and said, ask Debbie when she'll start posting to com again. Uh, I used to love reading her analyses of border issues, law, terrorism, and more. Um, have, have you stopped posting to your blog? Uh, you know, I was temporarily. What happened was I had a TV show for a year um, ending last year, and I just, when you do a TV show, it takes up so much of your time. Mm. Plus, I was practicing law. I needed a break. We are redoing my website, and it will be redone soon. And when it is redone, then I'm going to start posting stuff regularly again. And I, you know, I I now have a very, very busy law practice. So I am going to, once it's fixed, I'm going to do it again. It's just that and doing that TV show kept me from sure. it, but I will be back soon. What um? What is the bulk of the? And thank you, by the way, to that person. Uh, well, yeah, I, I, I will uh, thank him as well for uh, bringing that to our attention. What is the bulk of the legal work that you do? Do you have a specialization? Uh, yeah. So right now, I'm doing mostly criminal defense. Um, I do, you know, a little bit of everything, but that is the bulk of my work right now. I've chosen to do that because. Um, it's more interesting and, uh, and I enjoy doing it. Yeah, no, no. Well, that's great. All right. Um, let me ask you about your, before we talk film, what's happening legally. Obviously the big news this week is this leaked, uh, Sam Alito draft decision on, um, the Mississippi abortion case, which essentially undoes Roe versus Wade and the, uh, Casey abortion decision, what was your take, not necessarily on the leak, which I know a lot of conservatives have focused on, but on the substance of the decision as well? Did you have a chance to read Sam Alito's opinion or the draft opinion? And what did you take? Uh, what was your take on it? Did you think it was sound? Yes, I did read it, and I do think that it is sound. Uh, we have known for years because Justice Harry Blackman, who wrote the, the Roe versus Wade decision, said it in interviews that he basically pulled it out of his rear end, that it really wasn't based on anything constitutional. He said that there was a right to privacy that covered um, a woman's so-called right to have an abortion um, in the Constitution. And he said this fell under some kind of penumbra in the Constitution. 
And that's probably the first and only time I've ever heard that word used, penumbra. <laughs> um, and there is no such penumbra in the Constitution. He made it up. And the reason he made it up is he wanted to give women the right to have an abortion, um, which some people erroneously call the right to choose because the baby never gets the right to choose. Um, and listen, this that movement does not believe in the right to choose. They didn't believe in my right to choose whether I wanted a vaccine, whether I wanted to wear a mask, um, even if I want my right to choose to use a, pre- a plastic straw they don't believe in. So they're not into the right to choose. Um, and I would argue that I do that the Constitution has more of a penumbra uh, over my right to choose a plastic straw or a plastic bag at the store than it does um, the right to get an abortion and sometimes up to eight and a half you know, months or even almost nine months in these partial birth abortions that are still legal um, in many states and are basically around the country. And that's the problem with the um, original Roe v. Wade decision. This really was a state's rights issue. It was never uh, something where there was this so-called penumbra that's constitutional. So that is really the um, essence of what Judge Alito said, that it was an erroneous decision, that it was wrong, and it never should have been decided that way. And I agree with him. And so does the author of the Roe versus Wade decision, Mm. Justice Harry Blackman, because again, he has admitted, and not even just admitted, he's bragged in interviews that he basically made it up. He, He said that. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what not only the legal implications are, but the political implications. Hey, another story which I found so interesting, and I was surprised that I hadn't seen it until you sent it to me, because I consider myself, um, you know, a pretty keen observer of um, of all aspects of news. And this has to do with an actor that I really like, Frank Langella. People may remember him from Frost Nixon or uh, The Trial of the Chicago 7 most recently. He was also great in Dracula, Good Night and Good Luck. He's great in Red Dragon. He's a wonderful actor. He has not only one of those great voices, but just a great look. And apparently he's the latest victim of cancel culture. What happened to Frank Langella? Yeah, so I remember hearing some rumblings about this, and I didn't really know the exact story, but I I started to follow it because, I, I like you, I am a fan of Frank Langella. He is a great actor. Um, he was on the set of this show where he was the lead actor in the fall of The House of Usher, um, the latest version of it that Netflix was making. It's an Edgar Allan Poe-based um, uh, um, drama, I guess, and he he was on this set for three months and there was three weeks left of shooting. And the actress who plays his much younger wife, whose name escapes me, she complained because he put her hand, his hand on her leg when they were shooting a love scene, which it's a love scene. Hello. Um, and they said, well, you know, our intimacy coordinator, which all these, these sets now have didn't choreograph a touch on the leg. Um, and so for that, he got labeled um, a hashtag Me Too person, and his whole career basically is over, or at least will be for some time, because we know what happens to people when somebody says, oh, you did this, and I'm offended, blah, blah, blah. So the woman apparently left the set, and then he was told 
um, that there are these issues, don't come back. And and he was kicked off the show and he still hasn't even been paid um, and he's been canceled. So he wrote an op-ed piece in Deadline Hollywood, which originally broke the story. And I think people should read it because about what happened to him and basically because this woman claimed that he touched her leg, he claimed that this was not coordinated, that um, he all of a sudden is this great ogre. And, you know, I think that we've gone way overboard. This was a love scene. Maybe you could, maybe she could have said, excuse me, take your hand off my leg or did you do this by accident? Whatever. He, he never even got the chance to respond or explain himself. He was just canceled. Oh, my um, goodness. And, and listen, I can understand if somebody put their hand up someone's skirt or down their blouse, absolutely they should be fired. But this is not what happened. They were shooting a love scene on a set um, where she plays his wife. And I just think we've gone way overboard and it's ridiculous. Yes, there are some legitimate cases of of uh, unwanted touching that are that should result in cancellation. This is not one of them. And we have to have a sense of proportion these days and common sense here. Oh, uh, I should say so. I mean, that's. That's horrible. Well, I, I'm hoping that, um, you know, in some cases we see a little bit of a backlash against preemptive cancellation. So I'm hoping this is one of those one of those cases, because uh, it seems it seems a real shame uh, that this is happening to uh, to anybody, uh, but especially to Frank Langella. All right. Um, I agree. We're talking with Debbie Schlussel. You could check out what's left of her website at DebbieSchlussel.com. Um, and um, there's a lot of people are very excited about the new Doctor Strange movie. I don't know how many Doctor Strange movies we're up to. I saw the first one and I and I liked it. I don't know if there were if there were others. I know he's in at least one of the Avengers movies. I kind of have lost track with all these superhero movies. But have you seen the new Doctor Strange film? And is this going to be the latest savior of Hollywood? I did see it. Um, they say that the ticket sales are outpacing. Um, pretty much most uh, post-COVID movies. And um, it is technically the second Doctor Strange movie, I believe, although Doctor Strange was in the Spider-Man movie that is still in theaters that came out in January. Ah. Um, I, You know what I liked about the first, I would say, 20 minutes, and then it just became a mess. I think it's called Doctor Strange Into the Multiverse or something like that. Um, you know, I loved the first Doctor Strange movie. I thought it was really good. I liked it. It was a classic linear superhero movie, um, a lot different than most of the superhero movies we see nowadays right. that are a mess, have too many characters and too much going on and are confusing and nonsensical. Unfortunately, this movie became all of those things. So when it, it started out nice enough, there is this giant, octopus with uh, more than eight legs and lots of mini legs and one giant eye. I call it a like uh, a cycloptopus um, that is trying to destroy the major city that looks like downtown New York. Um, and Dr. Strange has to find out who is behind this cycloptopus and which is trying to get at this girl who he finds out has special powers because she can go back and forth between different parts of the um, universe and different worlds and different times. 
Um, and but then it just became comes a mess because there are so many characters and so many different multiverses. There are there are two scenes in the movie um, uh, that have um, uh, the guy from Evil Dead, Bruce. Oh my gosh, and his name escapes me. His last name, um, Bruce. Oh my gosh, and he's from right near where I Bruce live. Campbell. Bruce and Campbell. Bruce Campbell, exactly. And the reason why it's like killing me that I forgot the last name is that. His brother, Don Campbell, is a friend of mine and was at the movie and knew his brother was going to be in the movie. And I thought it was cool. And and it's interesting because Bruce Campbell is um, a classic Hollywood liberal. Um, And my friend, his brother, Don Campbell, was a guard in Gitmo and served in the U.S. Army career army uh, person. Thanks for your service, Don and is a conservative and was a guard at Gitmo and he has told me so many fascinating stories. Well, that is interesting. Uh, so would you say um, that, the, I mean, it sounds like the second one is not, it's not in, on par with the first one, to say the least. Not not even close. All right. Uh, not for me. And listen, there was nothing objectionable about the movie. It's just too much going on. Gotcha. Okay. A lot. Fair enough. All right. Uh, but maybe if you're a fan of the franchise and you really love the first one, maybe you'll enjoy this one as well. Right. And one other thing, there are two stingers. So, you know, a lot stingers are those scenes that come after the movie ends. There's one in the middle of the credits, but then you have to stay until the very end of the credits. And there's a second stinger. And to me, that was my favorite scene of the whole movie. Mm. Uh, no, that um, well, I like those a lot. Those post-credit uh, little snippets. So um, we'll see. I'm not going to make a special trip to the theater for that, but you know, if people want to do that, then uh, then they can. Hey, I know this Nicolas Cage film has been getting a lot of attention. The unbearable weight of massive talent. What is this film about, and uh, what was your take on it? I enjoyed it for what it is. This is basically Nicolas Cage parodying himself, and he plays himself. Um, sometimes there are two of him in a scene, and he is in, in uh, debt heavily, and he has to take this gig that he did not want to do to uh, hang out with this super fan at the super fan's birthday party in Spain. Um, and so he goes there, and he meets the super fan, and soon the CIA is involved telling him that this super fan is a crime mastermind and an international gangster kingpin, and they're enlisting him for his help. Um, there were a lot of funny lines. I should have laughed a lot more than I did, though, um, but I did laugh. I did enjoy it. It's a light escapist movie. It's not a great movie, but if you're a Nicolas Cage fan or if you enjoy this kind of genre where people make fun of themselves, then it's for you, and there was nothing objectionable about it. It did seem to be a little repetitive, and maybe they could have cut a little bit of it out out of it, but it was decent. I, I enjoyed it. Was I there, like Nicholas Cage. So do I. Was there any um, political subtext that people should be on the lookout for here? Nothing like that oh, in this movie. Right. Okay, well, that's nice for a change. All right, um, what yeah. is The Survivor? That's on HBO Max. So this movie just came out, and I like this. I'm actually almost done with it. It just came out, um, and I enjoy it because it's an interesting story that I've never heard of before. And oh, oh, this is the, is, is this the, the boxer? Yes. Yes, okay, is. yes. Tell us about this. I want to see this. I've read about this. 
Yes. Yeah, so Harry Happ um, was a, a boxer who um, boxed in America. Didn't have such a great career, but he actually uh, did box Marciano and so on. Um, he lost to him. He was in. Uh, he was taken to Auschwitz. Most of his family was wiped out. In fact, I believe all of his family was wiped out. And he was forced. The Nazis saw that he could fight, and they forced him for their entertainment to box different people every week. And they picked out other Jews, some of whom. He probably knew who were probably from his hometown. He, they forced him to beat them basically till they were unconscious. And the people who he beat, then they executed them. And he unfortunately was forced to do that with at least 67 other people. So he didn't really want to box, but um, that is what they forced him to do. And it's very, very tragic. Now, the, his real life story was that he and his brother. The Nazis locked them into this one uh, room to sleep. And unfortunately, there was cannibalism and other things. That is not depicted in the movie. But the story is very, very sad. And he was very sad for the rest of his life. He was trying to find his sweetheart, who um, he met right before he was rounded off to Auschwitz. He felt like she was alive. And part of the movie is about his search for her. And I just think it's a very moving story. And it's one we haven't heard before. Um, and Ben Foster plays uh, Harry Haft. He is actually living in New York for some of the movie, so there are local ties to the movie. So it's not a it's not a documentary. It's a motion picture based on true events, right? And that's uh, if people want to learn more about it, it's on it's on HBO Max. Harry Haft. Uh, that lo- does look interesting. I'm looking forward to checking that out. Uh, what is the Duke? So the Duke just came out in uh, Art House Movie Theaters last week, and this stars um, a Jim Broadbent and Helen Mirren, and I enjoyed this movie. Frank, did you know that in Great Britain, or at least in England, that people have to buy licenses every year in order to watch television? No. It's illegal. I had no this idea. It's crazy. It's illegal to watch TV there unless you pay this TV license every year. And it goes to fund BBC. And I guess it's the same way we are forced to fund PBS and NPR through our taxes. But but I, I to the idea that you have to have a license. So the main character in this movie, played by Jim Broadbent, this is a true story. He is a political protester, and he's protesting against this license. So he's against big government. He takes the tube out of his TV that enables him to watch BBC and thinks he shouldn't have to pay for it. He gets arrested for that and is sent to to prison for two weeks for not paying to to fund BBC. This is crazy. And then um, he is also a failed playwright and political activist. He uh, writes this play about if Jesus were uh, a woman. It's called The Adventures of Susan Christ. I thought that was funny. Um, But he's basically failed at these things, and he's a taxi cab driver, and he can't hold a job because he's a dreamer. And his wife, Ellen Marin, is a maid who really works hard for very wealthy people who are members of the government and um, he who are involved in the government. And he and his son are his sons are kind of near to wells. And all of a sudden, one of his sons or somebody in his family takes this painting called The Duke of Wellington. 
that is a famous Goya painting. They break into a museum and the painting is taken and he is accused of it and he's put on trial. And it's a just a very fun, light movie. It's funny. It's cute. It's escapist. I enjoyed it. Um, I did like the ending, but it's apparently the true story of what happened. But I just enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, once in a while, it's good to see a light British uh, film that's kind of a dramedy or, or you know, a comedy slash drama. Um, and the one complaint I would have is that, you know, sometimes the English accents are so heavy, not necessarily cockney, but they're so heavy mm. and so quick. I wish I could have had subtitles. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I, a lot of people felt that way with the Kenneth Branagh film uh, Belfast as well. I, I did hear that from yeah. a, a number of folks. I, by the way, I think this is like a uh, – I think this might be a new record. I've never heard you give so many positive reviews to so many <laughs> different films in one in one segment. We'll see if we can keep the, the um, streak going. The Northman. What's The Northman? So I absolutely, we can't keep it going because uh, I absolutely hated this movie. So um, this movie stars Alexander Skarsgård as a um, as a Viking, essentially. He is a prince who is the son of one of the Viking kings. And his father, one day when he's little, is murdered by his uncle, who is a area, who is a neighborhood king, I guess. And his mother is kidnapped and he spends the rest of his youth and his early adulthood training to fight his uncle and get his revenge. And then he is sold into slavery to his uncle and he tries to get his revenge. Now I'm making it sound way better than it is. This movie was long, slow Mm. and boring and it's very dreadful. And Nicole Kidman is his mother and her accent is horrible. And it's just kind of laughable when she's in different scenes because she's had too much Botox lately in a lot of her movies. And I just, her face is almost comical to me. Not as bad in this movie, but still noticeable. And I just, the movie was dreadful. I just thought it was going to end a million times. And when it finally did, it was uh, well past time. Uh, Well, on that note, we will end it there. Debbie, it is always a treat to have you on. I hope we can do this again soon. Hope you have a great weekend. Thank you. Great to be back. You too. Thank you.